What we tend to do at Church Central One when we gather together is focus in on bigger picture topics. So we tend to talk a whole lot about being a church that impacts nations and works for the good of our city. But what I want to do this morning in the rest of the time that we have available to us is something ever so slightly different. Nations, yes. Birmingham, absolutely. But I think every bit as important as our mission is who we are together as we go. We are family together. And so, Dipping into some of the instructions that Paul gives to his friend Titus in Titus chapter 2, I simply want to paint a bit of a picture for you this morning of what family might look like for us across our sites in this next season. Now, before we jump into the passage, let me just explain a bit of the context of the letter of Titus. Paul has commissioned Titus to go and help a bunch of fledgling churches in and around Crete. And this letter is primarily written to encourage Titus in his work. But it would also have been read out to the churches that he was helping to give them some kind of an idea of what Paul was hoping Titus would do while he was with them. Now, we're not going to read chapter 1, largely because it's pretty niche. It's mostly all about elders, because they don't have yet and have any yet in their churches, and one of the things that Titus was tasked to do was to appoint some. But chapter 2, the chapter we're going to be in this morning, is way broader than that. It's written for everyone in the church. Paul addresses older men, older women, younger men, and younger women, which I think you probably have to agree is pretty comprehensive. It catches most people in the room. I think we can imagine these two generational groups, older men and older women, and younger women and younger men, as like two legs and two arms in the body of Christ. And a mature and healthy church is one that has all four limbs playing their part at the same time, not kind of limping along with one leg lazily trailing on behind, or a load of arms kind of flailing around but not actually going anywhere, or going somewhere but not really packing a punch. Now, a mature church has older men, older women, younger women, and younger men being all they can be for Jesus in their generation. And really, that's what I want to teach into this morning. So, let's dive into the passage. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 of Titus chapter 2. Paul says this, "'As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching.'" Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they will come to that in a moment. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to do a whole bunch of things that you can read about in your own time that are written in the rest of the chapter. 
Now, before getting into the main teaching of the passage, I know some of you already keen for me to get to one particular part of the passage, uh, judging by the nudges and chuckles, very quickly, before getting into all of that, I want to fire out four opening points. Opening point number one. I want you to notice that Paul starts by stressing the importance of wholesome teaching or sound doctrine before then immediately racing into application. This is, in fact, one of the most application-heavy, most application-rich passages in the whole of the New Testament. So we absolutely need to focus on our heads We desperately need sound doctrine, but it must shape the way we live. Opening point number two, how old is older? (laughs) Well, how old would you like it to be? Uh, If it helps, uh, commentators uh, think it's probably kind of 50 and above. Uh, A few lower it down to the age of 40, but the, but the reality is, actually, it's all relative. I mean, a 35-year-old should be more of the things we're going to be looking at than a 25-year-old, and a 20-year-old should be more of these things than a 10-year-old. So, we're all older than someone else, and like it or not, we are all growing older with each passing day. So really, all of this is relevant for all of us, and is particularly relevant for all of us, all of you who are in the younger generation, because it's not like you suddenly click into this when you hit the magic age of 40 or 50. I want you to see that this is very much a progression, and over time, you blend into this stuff. And in our 30s and our 40s, We want to be looking much more like what it is to be older men and women than we did in our teens and our 20s. Opening point number three, old age is to be honored, not something to be avoided or dismissed. The... The problem that I am facing today, because I'm going to be focusing primarily on older men and older women, the problem I'm facing is that most of us are in denial and refuse to think of ourselves as being older, and so you won't be thinking that any of this is the least bit relevant for you. I think our society, serious point, I think our society has glorified youth so much that we have managed to breed this generation who are terrified of growing up. And so, as we reach middle age, we see it as a moment of crisis rather than something to be celebrated. And after retirement, we feel like we're left on the scrap heap and are viewed as a drain on society, which is absolutely crazy. It's like we celebrate immaturity and think that that is something to aspire to, while cutting ourselves off from the wisdom of those who've got a whole lifetime of experience to pass on to us. According to Job 12, verse 12, wisdom belongs to the aged, 
and understanding to the old. And in the words of Proverbs 16, verse 31, gray hair is a crown of glory. So, old age is to be honored, not something to be avoided or dismissed. Opening point number four, I want you to notice the first word in verse three. Remember what it was? It'll appear there in a moment. Similarly. In other words, what Paul says here to one group of people also has something important to say to the other group. And so, in a few moments when I start addressing the women in the room, there are actually going to be similar principles for all the men and vice versa, which means even if it doesn't look like I'm specifically speaking to you directly, if you listen up, there are still going to be things for you to learn if you stay engaged with it. So, all that being said, here we go. Ladies first. Paul starts off by saying that older women should live in a way that honors God. In other words, they should look to bring glory to God in the way that they live. But I think Paul is actually saying a little more than that here. The the phrase, live in a way that honors God, is translated from a word that means priestesses. You know, I think it's hard to think of a word that would have given more dignity to older women. You see, back then, priests had a crucial, central, significant role in the community. And Paul is saying the older women are to live like priestesses. I think what Paul's doing here is tackling head-on one of the main challenges that older women can have. It's a challenge, uh, actually, that we all face, but I think it can particularly hit women as they grow older. It's the whole challenge of a lack of self-worth. It's like when you're a younger woman, so I've been told, your identity, your identity can be coupled to looking good and your career and maybe finding a partner, perhaps having kids. But as you get older, those things pass or they can get stale. And as we've already seen, Our society very much favors the young. And so you can begin as an older woman to join together the dots and can end up feeling increasingly sidelined. You can be left thinking, I feel neither youthful nor useful anymore. It feels like I'm very much on the periphery of where all the action is. But Paul would say to you, you are priestesses. You're priestesses. You've walked a road that no one else has walked. You've got experience. You've been through numerous ups and downs. You've lived through this season and that season. And now, by the grace of God, you are potentially perfectly positioned and thoroughly equipped to carry and dispense more of the presence of God, which you should have in much greater measure than the younger generation, because you've lived longer not necessarily perfectly, but that's not what this is about, but longer than anybody else, you have been walking with Jesus. And so there is now a weightiness to who you are that others who are younger just don't have. So Paul says, think of yourselves as priestesses 
and do not capitulate to the edge. No, consecrate yourselves to the center because that is where you belong. Now, having in this really big, this is who you are, Paul then touches on a couple of things you shouldn't do. First of all, he says, do not slander others. As we all know, where there are a multitude of words, sin isn't far behind. And I think we can all be prone to this, but for some reason, Paul particularly connects this with older women. Uh, As I think it was John Calvin once put it, talkativeness is the disease of women and it is increased by old age. (laughs) I didn't say that, I wouldn't even have thought it, but that was John Calvin, so blame him. Now, slander is kind of like this catch-all term for all sorts of inappropriate speech about others, like maybe I just illustrated. Now, I'm guessing all of us probably are guilty of this at times, but Whenever we're convicted about something, it's always good to look at what lies behind it, what what the root cause of it is. Otherwise, you'll keep lopping off the fruit, but it'll just keep growing back again with a vengeance. And you'll get more and more frustrated and disillusioned because you feel like you just can't stop doing it. Whereas if you remove the roots, you'll cut this thing off at source. So what's the source of slander? But very often, I think actually it comes back to this whole issue that we already touched on of a lack of self-worth. You see, what we do when we slander is subtly or overtly push other people down with our words. Why? Is it because we're just really cruel and mean and harsh? Well, maybe. But more often than not, it goes deeper than that. I think often it's an attempt to make ourselves feel better. It's like, if they are like that, then the implication is that I'm not. We're trying to give ourselves some kind of a boost at their expense. Now, if that's the cause, what then is the cure? Well, again, I think it goes back to what we've already seen. View yourself as a priestess. Think of yourself, look, I've got nothing to prove. Jesus has proved everything everything for me already. I'm in Him. I'm godly. I'm a daughter of God. I have grace. I have dignity. I have worth. I'm a priestess. So, I have no need whatsoever to run others down. Don't slander others. Second don't is don't be heavy drinkers. Again, let's ask the question, what's the root cause of drunkenness? Well, I think very often it's escapism, isn't it? You, you drink because you can't cope with reality. It might not be alcohol, it might be overeating, or reading certain kinds of books, or fantasizing. It might be inappropriate relationships. If you remember, that certainly seems to have been the case in John 4, where Jesus famously spoke to the woman at the well. He says to her, you've had five husbands. Now, I suggest if you've got through five husbands, probably you are in the older woman category. And he says, don't drink any more from those wells. Those wells are like salt water. They will never satisfy you. Drink from me, Jesus says. I can give you water that will leave you never thirsting again. 
Priestesses have learned over the years, sometimes the hard way, but they've learned that there is saline solution, that's everything other than Jesus, and then there's pure, satisfying, thirst-quenching water. That is the well of Jesus. And when you drink deeply of Him, you don't need to drink in all of those other places anymore. Priestesses know that the wonderful escape into the ultimate reality is Jesus, and always Jesus. Those who are younger still haven't learned that lesson fully. They, they haven't got what you've got, and you can save them years of pain by modeling to them a better way, by encouraging them, by exhorting them, by challenging them to keep looking to Jesus. Paul says, you older women have a responsibility to teach the younger women what is good. If you're an older woman, you are an indispensable gift to the body of Christ. You've got experience and wisdom that this church desperately needs. Your mistakes as well as your successes, help equip you to help equip the next generation. And really, my prayer is that in some way, as a result of today, a whole new motherly generation would be released and set free in this church with fresh faith and vision to impart to the younger generation that which is good. Let's get practical. What might this actually look like in practice? Well, for a few of you, you may have more of an upfront role in this. But all of you are called to do this stuff one-to-one, -one, in your home, in the foyer after the meeting, and in the midst of day-to-day -day life. Listen, you don't need to be given a specific role or title to do this stuff. Just go and make some friends with a few people. Meet up for a coffee or a tea. Ask them how they're doing. Empathize with them. Encourage them. Pray with them. Pass on any top tips that you have learned over time. But please don't keep talking all day about yourself and your history and your stories. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus at every opportunity. And then simply keep pressing repeats until you go to be with Jesus, with the same one, with different ones, with small groups. It doesn't really matter, just don't keep yourself hidden away. Don't keep your experience of God's faithfulness a secret from others. Now, very quickly, just to address the younger women in the room, what I've just been talking about, what I've just been describing is something for each and every one of you to aspire to. Won't you resolve to make it your aim to grow in your relationship with Jesus so that you've got more to pass on to those younger than you? Won't you resolve today to become more like that? This is something to aspire to, for sure. And it's also something to take the initiative with right away. Please, don't wait for an older woman to take the initiative in approaching you? Won't you take the initiative in seeking them out? 
and asking them questions. Just keep badgering them. Ask them to teach you more about how to read the Bible, how to pray. Uh, Teach you about the faithfulness of God. Ask them for advice about your work. Ask them about family life, being a wife, a mother, a grandparent. Learn all you can from them. Bleed them dry. Maybe you're feeling a bit shaken by something. Ask them to pray for you. Look, God's design is not for us to live out our faith all by ourselves. His design for the church isn't for it to be like a meeting that we attend once a week. God's plan for the church has always been that it would be a family where we stand with, support, care for, teach, and learn from one another. So whether you are an older woman or a younger woman, I'll leave you to decide that one, but whichever you are, I want you to decide today that you are going to take the initiative in playing your part in this family. Do you do that? Yes, yes is the answer I was looking for. And then men, are you still there? See, I'm liking that. (laughs) Let's try that again. Men, are you still there? I like, I'm liking that. We could just keep doing that for the rest of the morning. I'd be entertained. Paul says, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. First of all then, live wisely and be self-controlled, or other versions put it, be sober-minded. If you like, don't be drunken in the way that you think. Don't be indulgent in your outlook on life. It's like, as younger men, we have this whole world open to us to go and explore. We've got so many possibilities and opportunities of where we could go and what we could do. There's him and her and this and that and there. It's like, there is so much opportunity that it can be pretty giddying especially if we feel like we've got to try absolutely everything. I I must try her, I must try him, I must try this experience, I must try going there. It it can end up feeling a bit like being drunk. It's hard to just keep our bearings. But as we get older, we've tasted and we've seen that this doesn't work. We, we, We perhaps thought it would, but that promotion didn't. And while she's great, she doesn't satisfy in quite the way we'd expected. And as you go through life, you're beginning to filter out the things that don't work or satisfy so much. It's not so much getting old as growing up. You start distilling down your priorities and you come out as a mature man knowing what life is really all about. And your life hasn't got easier. In fact, it might be significantly more challenging now than at any other point, but it's got a whole lot simpler because you know that Jesus is faithful. You've tested him over and over and over again and consistently learned that he is faithful. And younger men can look at you and are scratching their heads. They, they, They struggle to understand how you've got this enormously responsible job, but you just never capitulate. 
It's like they struggle to get out of bed for the start of the meeting on a Sunday morning. You've already sorted out your family, prayed for a couple of hours, and still managed to get there one or two hours earlier to set up the PA. And they know that you're older and shouldn't have so much energy, but they see you just kind of pouring yourself out, giving yourself over and over again. They, they see someone who's very clear on their priorities, someone who's living wisely, who's focused on Jesus and serving his bride. They, they see you're still growing in love for your wife. I think it was Agatha Christie who uh, once said, I'm so glad I married an archaeologist because the older I get, the more he loves me and is fascinated by me. And older men, we're to be like that. We've worked it out. We've learned to prioritize Jesus and family and his church and being salt and light in society and working for the glory of God. We're also to be worthy of respect. Us older men have been to hospitals and buried loved ones and we've lived through social and economic turmoil. We've watched our kids grow up and leave home. We've battled ill health. And over time, that causes us to be worthy of respect. It's like we're worth listening to. We've actually got something to say. We have something valid to contribute. Paul then goes on to say, we, we must also have sound faith. That's what sound, it, it means healthy, it's used in the Gospels in a number of the healing miracles. Jesus said, be healed, be sound. He made the man's body well. He made it sound. So there's a wholeness, a soundness, a completeness in terms of faith. Older men, similarly older women, when you've walked through the funerals, the weddings, the disappointments, the depression all of those things, in the Lord, you come out sound in faith because for decades and through some pretty serious, relentless storms, you've tested the Word again and again and again. Is it true? Is God really there? Is He faithful? Is He good? There's that Matt Redmond song, Scars and Troubles on the Way. But with joy, our hearts can say, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. Never once did we ever walk alone. I think older men and older women, we can sing that with authenticity when we've got to this stage of life. And so, if you're 40 or above, that's where I'm going to draw the line for this illustration, if you are 40 or above and you are comfortable to admit your age, would you just put your hand up right now? Men and women, keep your hand up. I know it's a bit hard with the arthritis. <laughs> keep them up. If you need someone to support you to, to hold it up, keep, keep it up. Now, put your hand down only if, <laughs> only if, and you're free to be honest here, but put your hand down if you honestly look back on your life and you have found God unfaithful. 
and you're free to say that. If you have found God unfaithful, put your hand down. Otherwise, keep your hand up. Okay, everyone else, have a look at these hands. These hands are up silently, but the message is loud and clear. Through all of our lives, God has proven faithful. Keep your hands up just a bit long. Keep looking around at these hands. We're not trying to trick you here. There's nothing in it for us to trick you. God has been faithful. His word has been true. And that's the testimony of all these people. Okay, and put your hands down. I think a round of applause, I think it's called for. <laughs> older men and older women, you are our badge of credibility. Contemporary music and lights and smoke machines and preachers in skinny jeans might draw a crowd... <laughs> Or it might put some off as well. But, but if it's one overgrown youth group, it is nowhere near as impressive as this multi-generational testimony that Jesus Christ and his word is true. Every grey hair, and dare I say balding head... I'm really getting into the deep stuff now. Every grey hair and balding head in the room speaks volumes. It absolutely does. I love Psalm 71 verse 17. Oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood and I constantly, what does it say? Tell others. Tell others. There we go. Okay, try that again. Oh God, you've taught me from my earliest childhood, and I have constantly, what does it say? Tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I am old and grey, do not abandon me, O God. Let me, what's the word? Proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. It's no good if you just think it. It might be for you, it might encourage you, but the rest of us need to hear it, proclaim it, declare it, tell it left, right, and center, proclaim it at home, proclaim it in your conversations, proclaim it when we gather together like this as a church, that the younger men and younger women in the church need to hear from you. And by younger, I'm including all the kids, the other side of that barricade. If the church family is going to be strong, healthy, powerful, and effective, I think we desperately need the adult arm to work together with the child arm. And the main point of this talk really isn't to pitch for more volunteers in our kids' work across each of our sites, but in all seriousness, how about it? I mean, how will the kids in the church grow in faith and love for Jesus if you don't tell them, if you don't proclaim to them the wonderful things that He does, if you don't proclaim His power to this new generation? So, how about it? Older men, older women, you've got something to contribute in that room over there. I love it if, just as an aside, 
on the back of this morning, in each of our sites, we had an abundance of new recruits for the kids' work. If you feel you've got stories to tell, you get stuck in. Roll up your sleeves, get amongst some younger kids. It will be the making of you and them. And then it says, be filled with love and patience. Be filled with love and patience. As older men, we've learned to love not just out of emotion, but from the will. We've learned that love is not self-centered, which is why when we do talk to the younger generation, we don't go on and on and on and on all about us. We go on and on and on and on about the faithfulness of Jesus. And we don't let opportunities to express love pass by. We are quick to encourage. We're quick to build up. We're quick to praise. We are quick to embrace and we're patient. We've learned to persevere. We've learned to stick it out. We've learned not to give up. We are strong to the very end. Older men, I want to appeal to you, keep focused on the prize that lies ahead. Do not allow yourself, as you fast approach the finishing line, don't allow yourself to get distracted. Please don't throw it all away. That the wonderful story of your life, your heritage, can be decimated just like that. So please keep your eyes on the prize. Let's be steadfast until the end. In John 9 verse 4, Jesus said, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But as long as it is day, I must do the work of him who sent me. Older men, here's the test to know if your purpose on earth has finished. If you still have a pulse and you're still breathing, it isn't finished yet. And it doesn't mean you monopolize everything. Part of perseverance at the end is allowing the next generation to come through. And that doesn't mean just kind of carelessly tossing them the baton. Neither do you kind of slink off into the shadows and wallow in self-pity like no one needs me around here anymore. I think letting the next generation come through is more about stepping sideways than it is about stepping back. Don't keep tutting and complaining and grumbling that you'd have done things differently. Make space, facilitate, encourage, prompt, by all means offer advice, but be quick to praise. Now, younger men and younger women, uh, I know we didn't actually get to the specific verses that directly address you, but here's what I want you to hear. Shoot for the stuff that I've just been saying. If you aim for all of this stuff now, you'll be sure to hit it as you grow older. Now, if you remember, I started with four quick fire points. I want to close this out in the same way. So, four quick fire closing points. Here's the first one You will only truly be who God intended you to be in the context of family relationships with others. 
I'll say that again, you will only truly be who God intended you to be in the context of family relationships with others. I think we need to reframe the conversation from me in isolation from others to me in relationship with others, to be a father, to be a mother, to be a son, to be a daughter, to be a brother, to be a sister to one another in the church family. I think we need to change the conversation from me pursuing my ministry to us together finding our place in the family. And I think we need to reorder what we value so that the very greatest value is placed on people living all of this out faithfully in private rather than playing an upfront public role on a Sunday. I think the whole idea of this passage is that ministry isn't so much something that happens from the front for an hour and a half once a week, so much as something we do actually in relationship with one another in the context of family for the rest of the week. Closing point number two, the Christian walk never ends. The implication running throughout this whole passage is that there is always space, always room for us to grow, to develop, and to learn more. And God's intention is for this to be worked out intergenerationally. We should be walking our walk alongside those who are both older and younger than us. In other words, we're meant to be in and out of one another's lives, learning from one another's wisdom and experience, and meeting one another's spiritual and physical needs. Very practically, ask yourself, who am I inviting in so that I can encourage them, and who am I learning from right now? And please, resist the temptation to think of this as an exclusive relationship, like, okay, this is my person now who's discipling me and investing me, and this, this, is, this is my son or my daughter. No, it's much broader than that. This is a family, and we need one another. Closing point number three. Be creative how you work this out. Be creative in how you work this out. If this comes as a pressure to you, like it sounds great in theory, but I just haven't got the time, think creatively about how you could just naturally include people in what you're already doing. In fact, I think the very best place to work this out is shoulder to shoulder in the midst of normal, everyday, ordinary, mundane life. And then closing point number four, I think all of us would benefit from slowing down a bit. This passage is championing lessons learned over a whole lifetime. Let's change our outlook from a 100-meter sprint to a marathon. Well, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves and on the church by thinking we've got to have everything right away and that is rarely how God works. It's like our society is in such a rush all of the time. Everything needs to be now, everything needs to be instant, and it's absolutely exhausting. You know, I think it would be wise to pause and reflect on what it is we are actually chasing after. To quote a friend of mine, Steve Timmis, he says, if we're not content with what we've got, we'll never be content with what we'll get. 
Contentment is a now thing, not a then thing. I think there's so much for us to enjoy in the here and now if we simply paused and stopped long enough to see it. And to that end, I believe this morning God is inviting each and every one of us to intentionally put down roots and play a deeper part in the family he's building here. Yes, there is a city to reach out there and nations to go to. Yes to all of that. But God's design is for us to do it together as family. Got the message? Great. Let's pray then.